You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. We continue our study through the book of Hebrews in just a few moments. Of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. We're now just a couple of Sunday nights away from completing our study through the book of Hebrews, at least two or three anyway. And uh, this evening I want to speak on this subject, strange doctrines. I didn't say strange doctors. I didn't say strange doctrine. Some good doctors do strange doctrine. But uh, this is strange doctrines, D-O-C-T-R-I-N-E-S, strange doctrines, teachings about the Lord Jesus and about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, strange doctrines. And so in just a few moments, we're going to stand together and we're going to begin reading with verse 9. And of course, we're continuing our study through the book of Hebrews, which has as its focus the Lord Jesus Christ, what Jesus has said, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and the fact that we have all sufficiency in all things in Christ Jesus. And of course, one of the several capstone verses of the book of Hebrews was the verse we looked at last Sunday evening, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, or maybe it's two Sunday evenings ago, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, this coming June, when the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, meets in Salt Lake City, that will be the theme of the convention, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And someone asked me why I wanted that verse as our theme. We're going to talk about preaching the unchanging Christ. And I said to them, well, for one thing, we all need to be reminded of that. For another thing, the world needs to know that. And for a third reason, uh, meeting there in the stronghold of Mormonism, which does not believe that about Jesus. They, in fact, make no bones about the fact that... Um, as Jesus is, you can be, and as you are, Jesus once was. And they will say to you that Jesus was a brother to Adam and to Satan, as a matter of fact, and that Jesus did the right job. He lived life as he was supposed to live it, and so therefore he got to inherit his own kingdom, and with his spirit wives gave birth to spirit children who inhabit his own universe. And so that's the reason Mormons, by the way, are polytheistic. They believe in many gods, and they believe you can become a god and have your own universe if that's what, if that's what you want. And so uh, not to, to get off on that issue, but just to say the truth, well, that is not the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient, supreme, second person of the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And one of these days... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And uh, Jesus is the Lord of this universe and any other universe, if there is such another universe. He is Lord. And so the book of Hebrews is focused in upon who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus said, and the sufficiency we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there are so many strange doctrines blowing in the wind today. Let me give you some strange doctrines. And in a few moments after we read this passage of Scripture, we're going to, I'm going to give you five tests by which you can measure 
any teaching about God, any teaching about the church, well, any scriptural teaching, and you can determine whether it's truly of the Bible. Uh, that's what our text is going to tell us this evening. But let's look at some strange doctrines. Uh, one doctrine would go something like this. Jesus did not do all that needs to be done in regard to the sin of the human race when he died on the cross. And they would say, and if you want to have eternal life, you trust Jesus, but that's just part of it. You've also got to work because unless you have more good works than you do bad works, you're not going to make it into heaven. That's a strange doctrine. You're going to see why in just a few moments. Other people would say, well, you can, here's another strange doctrine. You can become a Christian and you can inherit eternal life by trusting in Jesus, but you can lose that if you don't do right. I mean, you could give up on it or he could give up on you and you could lose your eternal life, which makes the phrase eternal life then sort of an oxymoron because uh, it is not eternal life if you can lose it. But there are many people who believe you can be saved one day and lost or unsaved the next day. Hmm. That's a strange doctrine. Or there are people who would say this. They would say, you can become a Christian, but when you receive Christ, you don't really get everything that you need. No, there is a second thing that you need. Someplace out there in the future, you need to have an encounter with the third person of the Holy Spirit, and you need to receive the Holy Spirit. And they would use words, which are Bible words, by the way, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a strange doctrine, as a matter of fact, because the Bible says no man calls Jesus Lord except the Spirit give him utterance. The Bible says every believer is baptized with a spiritual baptism. Our water baptism is just a picture of what takes place spiritually. And it's through the work of the Holy Spirit that Christ comes to dwell within the life of a believer. So that's a strange doctrine. But yet there are people who believe that you can know Christ but not have the Holy Spirit. Even though the Scripture says this is the way we know we are in Him and He in us in that He has given us of His Spirit. The very test of knowing whether you're a believer is that you possess the Holy Spirit of the Lord. Well, those are strange doctrines. And so you find people in this world today who are constantly dissatisfied with where they are and with what they're doing. They're constantly going through sort of a, a church buffet line. They, they taste this from this group and they taste something else from another group and if they don't find in this particular line what they want, well, they'll go to another line and any given Sunday will find them, you know, someplace trying out something new and they're just cast about here and there and if you ask them what they really believe, one day they believe one thing, one, another day they believe another thing and, and they believe whatever it is that some forcefully logical person has implanted into their head at any given moment. And so the writer of Hebrews says here, I don't want you to be carried about with strange and diverse doctrines. And so let's stand together and let's look at the scripture here. And um, let me just say that the word diverse here means varied. Um, and the word strange here means foreign. Those are the, that would be a good translation of each of those Greek words there. And so he says, don't be carried about with so many doctrines which are foreign to the actual teachings of the Scripture. Let's look at it, beginning with verse 9. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied with them. In other words, all these 
sacrifices that people have been giving. He said it hasn't really profited those who are just so busy making these sacrifices. He says, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. He's speaking about the temple down there in Jerusalem. He said, these people do not understand the altar at which we worship. He said, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Now look up here just for a moment, if you will, please. According to the law of God, and you can find, for instance, uh, several places in the Bible that speaks about this. Exodus 29 comes to mind immediately. Uh, when the flesh, uh, or rather the, the, the tissue of an animal was offered as a sacrifice, then the skin and some of the flesh was taken outside and it was burned, and it was burned for the sin of the people, all right? And so now let's go back here, what he says. He said, for the bodies of those beasts, those creatures, whose blood, they, sacri they bring in the blood and they use that blood for the offering, whose blood is brought to the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. And so Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Jesus literally was taken, as you know, outside the city of Jerusalem. One of the reasons, uh, one of the ways that um, I think they have a very good idea of where the location of Calvary is and the empty tomb is, uh, is because it is outside the Damascus gate of the city of Jerusalem. And so he says, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. The word for sacrifice there is thusia. We get our word enthusiastic. Some people say, well, enthusiastic may come from in theos, that is in God. Actually, it's probably this word thusia. He says, uh, give the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Father, I pray that you will show us what your word says about strange doctrines, strange teachings, about how fruitless they are to change our lives and how in them we find no permanent rest and why it's so important that we not be guilty of passing along strange doctrines or supporting strange doctrines. You have said that if any person comes to us and they teach not the true gospel, that we should not wish them Godspeed. If we do, we, we become guilty of the same sin the same heresy that they preach. And so, Father, I pray that you would deliver us from this kind of teaching and show us what your word says about it. And then, Lord, may we rejoice this evening that Christ is all sufficiency in all things. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. But you're going to need to keep your Bible open as we think together this evening about strange doctrines. Did you know the Scripture tells us that if you wish God's speed, somebody comes to your house, they knock on your door, they tell you, well, they want to sell you a magazine. For instance, Jehovah's Witness might say, I want to sell you a Watchtower magazine. And um, here's usually a lady and a child would be with her or something of that nature. I want to sell you a Watchtower magazine. Well, in the first place, you need to know that Jehovah's Witnesses is a strange doctrine. It, is, uh, it is, has no bearing whatsoever to uh, the truth. I could take a few moments this evening and, and just unravel for you some of the history of that particular group. 
But one of the things they teach, which is obviously not true, is that Jesus is not truly God in the flesh. They say he's like God, but he's just one of God's sons, you know, and he is not truly God in the flesh, even though, for instance, you open your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 11 where it says his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, all referring to the same God who is three in one. And so they're standing there at your, and you need to listen, you say, my, this is a sweet person, and she's got this little child with her, and good night, you know, I don't want her to think that I'm, uh, you know, unloving and, and uncaring, and so gracious, I guess I'll, okay, here's, here's a dollar, and, you know, give me your magazine. And so you take that magazine. What you, have you just done? Well, the Bible says you have just participated in some way in that same heresy by wishing them Godspeed, saying, God bless you. I want to, you to prosper in what you're doing. You have said, in essence, I'm putting my stamp of approval on your heresy. You say, well, I didn't really mean to do that. Well, that's what the Scripture says. I mean, that's right straight out of the Scripture. So it's important for you to know what is a strange doctrine. What are the tests of a strange doctrine? In this passage which we read a few moments ago, we have at least five questions that you need to ask in regard to any particular teaching of the Bible. I am amazed, and I, I don't do this very often, but you can turn on Christian television. You know, the Bible says that in much speaking there is sin. So these people sit there and they just talk all day, all day, all day, all night, all day. Uh, you know, pretty soon you're going to say some things which are wrong. If you would take the, the time to write down some of the statements that are made, not on all, I'm, you know, I mean, we're on television, so I, I don't say that about all, not on all, but I mean, I have heard some of the strangest things taught by ostensibly very reputable people, but some of the things they said were directly contradictory to what the scripture says by the way that's the reason i would tell you you're not doing yourself a favor if in order to keep from feeling alone at your home you turn on christian television and just let it hammer away on your your brain all day long that's not good g-i-g-o is a phrase that computer boys use garbage in garbage out you you become a product of some of the things that you take in or even to turn on anything and just listen to it just constantly without filtering out that which is wrong that which is heresy that which is strange doctrine and so it's important that you think i mean use your head think about what you're listening to and think about what you're saying think about what you believe be able to give a good answer for the faith that is in you know what you believe and why you believe it and so we have here five statements about strange doctrine let's look at them. number one how do i know something is a strange doctrine a strange doctrine brings no permanent rest to your soul a strange doctrine brings no permanent rest to your soul notice what he says in verse 9 he says be not carried about the word uh, there in the original language means literally to be tossed about driven literally would be a better word driven about like with a wind now, the wind blows this way, you know, like a flag. If the wind's blowing this way, well, you know, if the wind's blowing this way. I know people are like that. Theologically, they're like that. Just whichever, you know, whatever group they're with, they just believe, hey, well, you know, I just, I believe that. And by the way, we live in a, an, an age which exalts pluralism to the extent that uh, we, many times, you'll find well-meaning Christians who believe that the Christian truth is the truth for the Christians, but that there are probably other truths out there. No, listen, the Bible is the absolute, ultimate truth of God. There's not a truth 
out there about God that is outside or contradictory to the Scripture. So when you say, well, you know, they're sincere, they're dedicated, they're doing their best. Well, listen, that, that, you can be sincerely wrong. You can be dedicated to the wrong thing. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so he said, here are these people who are carried about with what? Varied, diverse, and strange, foreign. In other words, these are things which the Bible does not teach. And he says they're carried about. He said, it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. What does a strange doctrine do? A strange doctrine will keep your heart from being established. You'll, you'll embrace it, and you'll try, to, you'll try to believe it, and you'll try to wrap your heart around it, and you'll get it all figured out. You'll have some clever person come along, and they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll get this thing where you say, okay, I got that thing all logic out. I, I got that, I, yeah, I believe it like that. But you never get real peace with it if you're a believer in Christ. Your heart is not established. The word in the Greek is babio, which means nailed down in place. Your heart is not nailed down in place by the grace of God. See, when the grace of God uh, is applied to your life, you, you get peace. Uh, this morning, as we were looking at 2 Timothy, what he said, he said, God doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound, the word there, a single mind, a healthy mind, peace in your heart. So the, Paul, the apostle Paul could say, I'm not ashamed. He said, for I'm persuaded, I'm convinced, he said, that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him. And so a strange doctrine doesn't bring peace. It keeps people in turmoil. Now, let's just look at the application. I mentioned a few moments ago about people who are constantly going through the buffet line of churches. And they get up, they read the newspaper, okay, who's going to be where? And without any thought about what that person believes, as long as he's some great light, or as long as he's got a great voice, or as long as he looks good, or as long as he's powerful, or as long as big things are happening where he's supposed to be ministering or she's supposed to be ministering, let's get over there and let's see this thing. The Bible says in the last days that's the way it's going to be. We'll heap to, uh, unto ourselves teachers. We'll have itching ears. We'll just be eager to hear any new thing. But there never will come this, this sense of peace, this sense of being established, in your faith. And if you are a believer in Christ, God, see, listen to this. The Word of God is within you if you are a believer in Christ. The Spirit of God is at work within you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And He will never let you be comfortable with strange doctrine. You just won't have peace in your heart. And I've had people come, sometimes they come down the aisle at first Sunday. They'll go out the counseling room, they'll receive Christ. And afterwards, I'll talk with them. And they'll say, you know, for years I was involved in this or that or the other, but I never could get comfortable with that. I just couldn't get comfortable with that. You see, Jesus comes in, he establishes your heart by the grace of God. And so the first test, ask this question, does this doctrine bring permanent rest to my soul. All right, the second standard, the second test here, strange doctrines emphasize, listen to this, empty works as a means of salvation. Strange doctrines emphasize empty works as a w means of salvation, as a way 
of getting to God. Notice the second half of verse 9. He speaks about these offerings. He says, not with meats or offerings which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. He says, look, there are these people. He said, Jesus has come. That's the last sacrifice God took any notice of whatsoever. It was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Jesus said it is finished. It is paid in full. But he said, look, they're still going on down there. They're still occupying themselves with these sacrifices. And so he says, what about it? He said, it's not profiting them. But somehow, he says, they think that in the multitude of good works or in, the, in their avid devotion to this ritual, they say, think somehow, surely, God is not going to pass me by. And so a strange doctrine emphasizes empty works as a means of salvation. Now, let, let me just let you put your thinking cap on just for a moment here. If you talk to many people who believe that you can lose your salvation. There, there are probably some here this evening. And, and you think, well, surely someplace, you know, I'm saved, but surely out there someplace, there must be a way that I could lose my salvation. Now, in the first place, let me just tell you, that's not scriptural. Let me, let me just tell you right off the bat, the Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus said in John 6, beginning with verse 37, just as if, for instance, and I could, you know, there's just dozens of scriptures about this and pictures in the Bible, but Jesus said, all the Father gives me will come to me. Him who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. You say, aha, but you could leave. leave. No, two verses down. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. He gives them to me, they come to me, I never lose them. He said, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. When you come to Christ, what you receive is eternal life. But invariably, there are people out here who say, well, you know, surely there's something you could do to lose salvation. Now, if you say to that same person, oh, you believe that you are saved by works. Oh, no, I don't believe in work salvation. If you believe you can lose your salvation, you do. You believe that somehow what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient. And to what Jesus did on the cross, you have to add the puny works of a sinful person in order to keep saved. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of people that teach this. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, for instance. All right, let's, let's take uh, in many churches of Christ. They would believe that you can lose your salvation. They also believe, since works are necessary to be saved, well, then they also believe that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's a strange doctrine. There's no place in the Bible that teaches that. That you ha what, what is water? There's nothing magic in water. That there's something that water can do. If that was the case, you couldn't get saved unless there was enough water around to be immersed. By the way, you couldn't get just saved by yourself because you can't baptize yourself. And there's no place where it teaches. But, but somehow, if you're saved by works, at least those works have got to be important. The, uh, the Roman Catholic Church believes that. It's strange, but they believe that. What they believe is that when you come, you confessed, you come to confession, you empty yourself out and of sin, and then you take communion. And at communion, that wafer really becomes the body of Jesus, and that cup really becomes the blood of Jesus. When he waves that, and he says, hoc est corpus, in fact, the word hocus pocus, came from that. Somebody at the back said, what did he say? And they thought, he said, well, hocus pocus. That means something changes from one thing to the other. But it was really hoc est corpus, the part of the Latin mass. This is the body. And so they believe that actually, and, and that you go forward and you ingest 
the real Jesus. You get him inside you, body and blood, and you keep him throughout the week based on how sinful or sinless you've been. But by the end of the week, you, know, you need to go back, confess again, take the mass again, get more Jesus inside you. And that's the way you stay right with God. Strange doctrine. Now, I'm not, I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you the truth. That's a, those are strange doctrines. Those are strange doctrines. Because what? They emphasize empty works as a means of salvation. Number three, a strange doctrine denies the sufficiency of Christ. A strange doctrine denies the sufficiency of Christ. That is that Jesus did everything. And that salvation comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ plus nothing. What's the big debate right now within the Catholic Church? The big debate. Four million Catholics, including Mother Teresa before she passed away, made over four million, have made a petition to the Pope to ask him to do what? To ask him to, listen to this, to ask him to make Mary, the mother of Jesus, co-redemptrix with Jesus. In other words, she dispenses grace like Jesus dispenses grace. And by the way, even though it's never taught in the Scripture and so little is said about her in the Scripture, I mean, this is a big deal. And the Pope is really seriously thinking that he's going to make... So we don't have the Trinity anymore. We have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Mother. There's, there's no Trinity. I'm, I'm telling you the absolute truth. This is exactly what they... Well, if they accept that, and many Catholics already believe this, well, what are they saying? They're saying Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, is not enough. It takes something else. It takes someone else to accomplish in my life. Or in case I happen to overlook Jesus, I can just, hey, look, I can just go to his mom. She's a lot easier to persuade than he is. And so then I begin praying to Mary. Holy Mary, Mother of God, blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, for, uh, womb Jesus. Pray for us sinners now and in the, in the hour of our need. And here again, uh, this is not to mock this is just simply to tell you the truth. That's a strange doctrine. Why? Because it says that Jesus was not sufficient. Now look at what the Scripture says here. Verse 10. He says, We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. He said, They haven't come to Christ, and, but we come to the altar of Christ. He says, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought in the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. He says, they, keep, they go in there, they take the blood, they separate it from the body, they go outside the camp, they burn up the body, and they just keep burning up the... What do they do? They keep burning up these bodies of these beasts as a sin offering. What does that say? That says that our sin has not been paid for. Our sin has not been atoned for. Jesus was not sufficient. That's what it says. Wherefore, Jesus also... He said, I want to tell you something. Jesus that he might sanctify, and the word here literally once and for all, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. He suffered without, without the gate. He shed his blood. He did everything outside the gate as a permanent sin offering for the people. So he said, if we're going to worship, let's go forth therefore unto him out without the camp bearing his reproach. Because Jesus, he says here, is absolutely sufficient. And so a strange doctrine denies the sufficiency of Christ. It says Jesus is just not enough. It takes another man. Or let me give you an illustration. It takes, it takes a priest or it takes a preacher. Sometimes people say something, they're, they're well-meaning in this when they say it. But, but uh, 
it makes, I have to stop and say, no, 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 let me straighten you out on this. Uh, they'll, they'll, somebody, they mean very well, they'll say, uh, mother uh, or dad, this is my pastor, this is Brother Tom, he's the one who saved me. Now, you know, you've had people say that, like you, they're the person who saved me. No, 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 you didn't save anybody. I don't save anybody. You see, Jesus is the only one who can save. He is the one who is sufficient. First Peter 3.18 says this, Christ suffered once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And so I'm just telling you the truth. You need to measure what you hear out there before you just say, oh, that's good, you're sincere, you're dedicated, that's well-meaning, you know, bless your heart, you, you have your way, and we'll have ours, but we'll all get to heaven at the same time. No, listen, you're not going to get to heaven by strange doctrine. You're not going to get to heaven by believing anyone else can save you but Jesus, who is all-sufficiency in all things, okay? And so strange doctrine denies the sufficiency of Christ. All right, two more things I want to say very quickly. Strange doctrine fails to put the world in its proper perspective. Strange doctrine fails to put the world in its proper perspective. It makes more or less out of the world than it ought to be. For instance, if you are a, um, a Hindu, you just, you know, you just say this is not real anyway. I mean, this is all... You just live in this state of denial. This is, not, this is not real. And the truth of the matter is that I want to achieve an ultimate state of nirvana. And uh, by doing this, well, I can live in a reality that is so different than this world. It's just not a real place. It makes too little of the world. Well, this, this world is real. You know, if you believe the world is not real, then when you stub your toe, don't say, ouch, because you, it's not supposed to have been there. It's not supposed to have hurt. Um, but on the other side of that there's a lot of Christian doctrine that makes more out of the world than ought to be made out of it I mean I'm going to be honest with you you, you, you know you flip it on and, sh and, and this is not I'm not getting off on anybody I just want to be real careful but I want to tell you something this Americanization of the Christian faith that says if you're really right with God you're going to have all the stuff you want in your life that's an abomination to God. It's an abomination of God. Don't just say that just because you don't have stuff. You know, it's easy to say that, you know. Like the guy gave up pornography because he, he couldn't see, you know. I mean, uh, you know, don't, don't just say, well, I'm broke and God bless you, preacher, you finally legitimized my being broke. No, I'm not giving you, because God gives you all sufficiency in all things and there's nothing wrong with having things. There's something wrong with poorly using them or making an idol out of them, but there's nothing wrong with having things. The other side of that coin is, though, there is something wrong with developing a theology that says that something is uniquely right about you if you're just cashing in constantly on all the glitter and the gold and the gunk that the world has to offer. How can we, in the name of Jesus, how can we look? I mean, I mean, you... I don't particularly endorse Mother, I don't endorse Mother, particularly Mother Teresa's particular brand of theology, but I'll tell you this, she had it right about how we ought to live in this world. And, and, and if, if what you have makes you a selfish person or a worldly-oriented person, see, strange doctrines make more or less of the world than it ought to be.
Listen to what the scripture says here. Verse 14, he says, Here we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. He said, this is, this is a real place, but it's not the last place we're going to live. Don't try to make this earthly tabernacle. I mean, you, you'd be ridiculous if you erected a pup tent in your backyard, paved a driveway, driveway in front of it, put an air conditioner in it, put a swimming pool behind it. Somebody say, hey, look, if you're going to spend all that money, build you a house. Pup tent, man, that's a temporary dwelling place. So is your body. It's a temporary dwelling place. It's a suit of clothes you wear. It's not where you're going to live forever. That's the reason the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, or rather, uh, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians says, we know, verse 1 says, we know that if the earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so a strange doctrine puts in a, uh, you put, fails to put the world in its proper perspective. And it, it becomes like the world uh, many times. Or if the world is real tough, it just denies that the world is real. Depends on how you live, you see. All right, number five. This is, this is one of the worst. Strange doctrine promotes self-worship. Strange doctrine promotes self-worship. What would be the most hideous thing, for instance, about, say, uh, Mormonism as a belief? Because it promotes self-worship. Ah, family, you know, and... Oh, no, 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 it promotes self-worship. Promotes self-worship? Oh, yeah. You, you spend your time here doing everything you can get, everything you can do so you can be God. Not so you can meet God and worship him forever and rejoice in him forever and praise him forever and see the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world and spend your forever with him in heaven but so you get your heaven where you are worshipped. You see, that's the big deal of that. What is that? That's self-worship. That's worshipping your, yourself. You don't think of it as that, that, but that's exactly what it is. By the way, that's the one thing that got who booted from heaven. That's right. Lucifer a cherubim, one of those who is to reflect the glory of God, who says, I will become like the Most High God. Man, I can be God of my own people. I'll do this. Why did he tempt Satan? And why did Satan tempt Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? So he could get them to take this world, which at that moment was under their dominion, and by bowing to him, give him dominion over it, which they did, and he became prince of this earth, God of this age because they bowed to him, they surrendered to him. Self. He says, oh, you, you, that's not sin. You won't die, he said to them in the Garden of Eden. You'll become as God, knowing good from evil. Well, I don't want to deny myself anything. So she took him and ate. She gave to Adam, and he ate. Self-worship. By the way, works salvation is self-worship. It says, I'm good enough that I get saved. That's self-worship. And so strange doctrines, diverse doctrines, promote self-worship. What was Jesus' big criticism of the whom? The Pharisees. And we, we always talk about people being pharisaical. What was his criticism? 
They did everything for themselves. Why did, the, why did he pray there in the temple in the story of the, the, uh, uh, the man going to the temple and praying and there was the publican? He said, Lord, I thank thee that I am not like these other men. I fast. I give tithes. Look what I do. That's self-worship. I can handle it. That's self-worship. So ask yourself these questions about doctrine. Number one, does this fail to bring permanent rest? If so, the answer is it's a strange doctrine. Number two, does this emphasize works, empty works as a means of salvation? If so, it's a strange doctrine. Number three, does this teaching deny the sufficiency of Christ? If so, it is a strange doctrine. Number four, does this doctrine fail to put the world in its proper perspective? If so, it's a strange doctrine. Number five, does this teaching promote self-worship? If so, it is a strange doctrine. Look at this, if you will. He says, verse 15, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice, the thusia, the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, not to ourselves, but to him continually. He says he's the one who should be praised. So does this promote self-worship? If so, then it is a strange doctrine. A lot of strange doctrines in the wind and a lot of people who are being what? Carried about with strange doctrines. Don't be one of them. Father, I pray, thanking you for your word, thanking you for your love for us, thanking you for the privilege of worship this evening. Lord, we praise you because we do not have to be victimized. You give us in your word what we need to live life as it ought to be lived. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit now would, uh, having done your work, having exalted Christ, that your Holy Spirit would now bring people to this altar. Father, I pray that there would be those who would trust in Jesus and others who would become a part of this church and still others who would answer a call, still others who perhaps would come to pray about an important, significant issue in their life. So, Lord, open our hearts at this moment of invitation to you and to your word and to your will for our lives. While your head is bowed just for a moment and while your eyes are closed, let me just say that in a moment or so we're going to be standing. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. At the end of that prayer... The praise singers are going to be in leading us in a hymn of invitation, and we'll sing it with them. And this is our, your, my invitation to respond to what God has spoken to our heart tonight. Now, I'm going to ask these folks to come forward. Our prayer warriors will be coming forward. I'm going to ask those who've made decisions in recent services, such as those who are baptized tonight, you come and be seated over here where it says seating for new members. If you have a prayer need, I'm going to ask you to just write it on a piece of paper along with your name so that we can have other people come and pray with you. Just come hand it to one of these counselors who will hand it to me and we'll have some folks come and pray with you. If the Lord's speaking to your heart about becoming a part of this church family, then I would encourage you to come tonight. Just uh, come tell one of these counselors, look, I want to join the church. We want to join the church. Maybe you're a university student. You're just here for a while. We want to be in the watch care of this church. We want to plug into what God's doing here in this ministry. Maybe you've just moved to the community. Whatever it is, come be a part of this church family. And then I believe that there are those here tonight who perhaps, you know, say, Brother Tom, you're talking about those strange doctrines. Those are some of the things I believe. And, and the Lord has convicted me. What I need is to truly trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation.
And so if you want to trust Christ and receive his gift of eternal life, come say that to one of these counselors. Just tell them, look, tonight I want to trust Jesus. And they'll talk with you and pray with you and give you some information which will help you grow in your faith. And so I would urge you to come and make that decision this evening to trust Jesus as your Savior. Some are coming even now. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Let's stand together. As we stand, let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm trusting you right now as you move across this auditorium to touch the hearts and lives one, then another, then another, then another. Lord, bring us to open ourselves to you. I believe that that's your, your plan. You've said that the word of God would not return void. So, Father, I pray you would bring to this altar those who had trusted you as their Savior, those who had become a part of a church family where they can really, truly serve you. Lord, at this invitation time, we also open our hearts to pray for one another so that we can build up the body of Christ. And so, Father, this altar becomes a place of prayer. Father, stir in our hearts right now so that we will say yes to you. Lord, if someone should encourage a friend to come with them, then may they turn to that person and say, look, uh, I'll go with you to the altar tonight. What a wonderful testimony that would be. And so, Lord, we're trusting you to move in our hearts in this service this evening. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. Let's sing together as we sing. You just step out of the aisle, make your way forward, saying, look, I'm coming to say yes to the Lord God tonight.